You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to go to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings. And um, I'm going to read to you something in a moment that, that Billy Graham put up I think is so good. I, I've titled, this series is called Turbulence because we live in very turbulent times. We read a lot and hear a lot today in 2023 that we may be facing um, a very turbulent financial world. Many are predicting there can be not only a recession in the United States, but a, what they call a global recession. You've heard me say that 70% of leading economists around the world are projecting a global recession that will affect every one of us. And so these are very difficult times, and there could be turbulence on the horizon. And so we've talked about how to get your life in order, uh, part one, part two, hate to tell you this is part three, how to get your life in order. And we're going to be talking not only about your life, my life, but we're going to be talking about, about the community. Well, let's look there. Um, I've, got to, I've got to find my way, and I've, in 2 Kings chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, in those days Hezekiah became ill. He was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face. And remember, we talked about this last Sunday. Hezekiah was at a critical moment in his life with a great need, his health. And the Bible said that he did what? He didn't even ask Isaiah to pray. He went to God. He went to Jesus. So watch at verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. He prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked with you before you faithfully. <clears throat> now look at the next part of that. Mostly after the song we just sung. With wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. We're, we're looking at that thought of getting your house in order. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We give you all the glory and honor. Lord, you alone are worthy. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I was telling the Wednesday night group in one of our mission trips to Zimbabwe, we, uh, we went through Cairo, Egypt. When we got to Cairo, we had a 16-hour six, layover. And so we thought to ourselves, you know, we're going to get out. We're going to see Cairo. I, I'll never forget when we were flying in on my side as we banked to go in, I could see the pyramids. My first time to see the pyramids. It, it just, you know, something just welled up in me. I felt like I was in the book of Exodus. I, <clears throat> I looked there, I was just enamored as I was watching this. And so when we got to the airport, we began to negotiate possibly how we could get out of the airport, move around Cairo, see the 
the pyramids and some of the sites there. And so we talked to an individual, a tour guide, and he said, well, listen, the only way you can do that is you're going to have to turn in your passports. Well, to a, pa- a passport to an American <laughs> is an essential. You, you just don't give that up. Um, but uh, I'll never forget we sat there, and some of the guys may have been a little hesitant, but I, I finally looked at him, Ledge looked at me, and he said, let's go for it. And so we handed in our passports. We got in, these, we got in this vehicle, and we began to trek around Cairo. We went to the pyramids. We rode the camels. We just had an unbelievable experience. Sheila, while you're getting ready to come in, would you bring me a bottle of water? Would you be a sweet wife and do that? <laughs> Sheila looks petrified because she's really shy. But anyway, um, you know, we, we, we got in this taxi, and we were with these, uh, these Egyptians. They're precious people, beautiful people, just precious, beautiful people. They were so kind to us. But all the while, we were thinking to ourselves, we are, we, how could we have been so stupid? We gave up our passports. Thank you, Sheila. We gave up our passports. We have no idea who these people are. We're going to be kidnapped and sold on the auction to some kind of slave traders. or we, I, You know, we were just sitting there having all these different thoughts. But none of that happened. Now, we did get carried down into Cairo, and we saw a lot of things, and we did get to see the pyramids. We get, did get to ride the camels. There were a lot of good adventure in it. But in the end, I have never been in a city that dirty. It was filth beyond anything I could imagine. I'm not talking about paper strewn everywhere. I'm talking about years, what looked like decades, of just dirt and filth and garbage that was piled up. I mean, there were corridors to get through places in the city. And my thought was, as we was... We were riding around Cairo. How would you possibly clean up this city and get it in order? And I thought you would have to have a bulldozer going along the side of the road with dump trucks every, every certain distance in order to load them up and start all over again. And you know... Sometimes that's how I feel when I come into the capital city. When I see abandoned buildings, when I see crime, when I see broken lives, when I see the, our, the, our city in the, in the shape that it's in, my thought is often, God, how can we fix this? This is not the problem of the mayor and the city council. This is our problem. How, how do we fix this? How do we fix Jackson? Much like how would we fix Cairo? The reality is you and I can't fix anything until we fix first who? Ourselves. You see, we've got to fix ourselves. We've got to get our house in order, which means, first of all, I've got to draw a circle, and I've got to get me in order. Then I've got to get my marriage in order. Then I've got to get my family in order, get my home in order. And then it's like, uh, it's like concentric circles. I'm working my way out. I'm my yard, my neighborhood, and I'm just doing that. You see, you're the beachhead in this city wherever you live. Let me read to you something Billy Graham said. 
He said, it seems the age-old pattern that when a nation drifts from its spiritual moorings, now let me explain that real quick. When we lived in England, you've heard me say this, when a ship would come into port, they would have these massive ropes and they would tie that ship. They would, they would secure that ship in the harbor. That's what it means to be, that's moorings. Spiritual moorings means that our nation, our culture, our society has drifted from those spiritual anchors, those moorings. Now listen to what he said. He said, it seems the age-old pattern that when a nation drifts from its spiritual moorings, he said, first, it's barely noticeable the loss of affection and reverence for God. In fact, in the beginning, he said, you don't really notice it. It's barely noticeable. Secondly, there's an unnoticeable disregard for God's law, His commands. The Democratic Party years ago on their platform voted God out of their party platform with a round of applause. Public schools have thrown prayer and the Ten Commandments out. So that's true. Third, he said there's a drift in lip service rather than a real, life-changing, passionate walk with Christ. In other words, what happens to you and I, we start just going through the motions. Right? We just know what to say. Fourth, he said there's a fraternizing with godless nations. In other words, we start hanging with godless nations. We begin to conform to their moral patterns. And that today uh, is, is happening. Fifth, he said this, Billy Graham said this. He said there's the worshiping of idols and a clear departure from the faith. In other words, we find ourselves getting called up in materialism, idolatry. Sixth, he said there's an absorption in pleasure, in habits, in lust, and vices. And then last, he said there's a complete breakdown of the nation's moral fabric. Wow. I want you to take your Bibles, turn back just a couple of pages. Look at 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, because this is what... This is what Hezekiah comes into. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. His father when they say David, it meant he was walking spiritually in line with his father, King David. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Now, I wrote down here, simply, first of all, Hezekiah was trying to get his country in order. And I thought, boy, that's interesting. In fact, one writer said this. He said, when Hezekiah came to the throne, he stood alone. Israel was a wicked, godless nation, and much of it, listen to this, much of what Hezekiah discovered when he came to lead, when he came into the executive position, the king of Israel, 
much of the problems had been left by his father. His father was a wicked man, Ahaz. He was a wicked man, an idolater. He hated the prophets. He built alliances with ungodly nations. But Hezekiah realized this, that to put his country in order, to put his life, his community, his family, everything, to put it in order, he had to stand alone. Let me ask you something. You're willing to stand alone? Are you willing to stand alone in the workplace? Are you willing to stand alone in school, in a classroom? Are you willing to stand alone in an office, in a job? Are you willing, in an effort for Christ to use you, to cause you to be that individual who stands alone? Hezekiah was willing to stand alone, and he did. I wrote this down question, can you stand alone? without getting discouraged? I'm sure that he got discouraged. I'm sure that he was like me looking at Cairo. Are you looking at the city of Jackson? Are you looking at your neighborhood, your community, and you think to yourself, you, you, you start off, and before long you get discouraged. You feel defeated. Maybe in your job, you think, you know, there's no use. I give up. I'm tired of standing alone. I'm tired of being isolated and alone and by myself. I'm tired of going to a family reunion where I seem to be ostracized and alienated as if I'm some kind of creature from another planet. You know, the Bible calls you and I pilgrims, sojourners. You know, the Bible says that you and I are not citizens of this country. We are citizens of heaven. He was willing to stand alone, but he, I'm sure, got discouraged. Paul Mayer, who runs an organization called Success Motivation Institute, listen to this, he states 90% of those who fail are not actually defeated. Listen to what he said, and this guy is a corporate genius. He said, they simply quit. Have you quit? You given up? Given up on your marriage, given up on your kids, given up on your husband, given up on your wife, given up on your family, given up on the people that you work with, given up on your neighborhood. You've just, you finally got so discouraged, you finally, and you thought, I'm, I'm tired of standing alone, so you made the decision, I, I just quit. I got to do it anymore. John Maxwell said this He said, That's what discouragement can do to you if you don't handle it the right way, it can cause you to quit. Since you become discouraged at some point, the question is, are you going to get... Listen, I love John Maxwell. Listen to what he says. It's a book on attitude, a little small book. He said, are you going to give up or get up? Isn't that powerful? University of Southern Cal, Caleb Jefferson. Last night, if you watched the Heisman Trophy, candidates, there were four young men, each of them gifted, talented, TCU, USC, uh, Georgia, and uh, Ohio State. Ohio State, a young African-American, young man who undoubtedly was raised in a single-parent home. Um, his name's Stroud. Young man gave a tremendous testimony as he talked about God and God not being finished with him and God having a plan for his life and his mom sitting there talking about the influence of God in their lives. But a young man by the name of Caleb Jefferson, who's the quarterback for Southern Cal, 
won the 2022 Heisman Trophy. He said that when he started out, listen to this, when he started out, he said, I was told I was too small. And he said, it crushed me. He said, I went home and I wept. He said, my dad came in there and sat down next to me. And this African-American family, beautiful family, his dad came and sat down next to him and he said these words. He said, son, he said, I can't make you bigger, but I can make you better. And when he began to share what he and his son agreed to, I thought to myself, wow, how powerful is that? I mean, how powerful. All of a sudden, he began to talk about how he and his son entered into this agreement. They, they entered into agreement. Now listen, that happened at 10 years old, and at 12 years old, he was in an agreement with his dad. And he told his dad at 12 years of age, he said, Dad, I want to be a quarterback, and that's how I want to live my life. I want to play professional football. Now he's been told he's too small to be a quarterback. They begin to look at fitness, nutrition, weights, and agility. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And as he was sharing that testimony there behind that podium, standing there with the Heisman Trophy, his dad, this big African-American man, was sitting there with tears pouring down his cheeks because he went through all of the people, the people that were behind him. He went through all the people that had had an influence in his life. And finally, he said, the greatest woman on this earth to me. And he turned to his mom. But then finally, he teared up, he choked up, and he went to this dad, and this dad sat there weeping. Have you quit? Have you given up? Have you given up or are you getting up? You see, there's a big difference there. The Bible says, I love this. It says, Hezekiah tore down the high places. You know, when I read that, it, it, it means a lot to me. Because anybody who reads the Bible through every year, which is what I do, you get to the kings and you get to all these great names, Uzziah, Jehoshaphat. You start reading all these names. And it talks about all the reforms and all the things they brought to the country. These great men of God. But then it'll always say this, but they did not tear down the high places. What's the high places? Dan and Bethel. After the death of Solomon, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, refused to listen to the people, the elders. So Jeroboam, a rival king, took ten of the tribes and he created the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom remained under Solomon's son Rehoboam and it was made up of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. They made up the southern tribe of Judah. Jeroboam, in order to keep the people and these ten tribes to the north from going to Jerusalem to worship, afraid that they might once eventually reunite, and he didn't want that, Jeroboam created Dan in the north and Bethel in the south so that the people would no longer go to Jerusalem and to the temple to worship. It became an offense to God, and it forever divided the people. And all of a sudden we read this king, this one king who did what all the other kings had failed to do. He tore down the high places. 
And the Bible said that he even, in, in the one-year Bible, in Kings and Chronicles, I wrote this down, one writer said, greatness was great, but, he, but so many of the kings did not remove the high places. And you may say, why is that important? Because these were places that idolatry was set up. Let me, let, stay with me here. Dan and Bethel was where they worshiped the golden calf. Do you remember the golden calf? Do you remember on Mount Sinai when Moses and Joshua were on the mountain? And all of a sudden they come down off that mountain and Moses looks and the people are living in just debauchery. They've got a massive party going on. They're in a drunken stupor. It's like a massive sexual orgy. In fact, it troubled Moses, the man of God, so much that he took the stone tablets and he broke them. He, he, he was so broken, so upset. And he walks to his brother Aaron. You remember? And Aaron has took what? He's took all of the pillage of Egypt and he's made that golden calf. You remember that? That's some of the stuff out of Egypt. He's made that golden calf and, he had, and, and you know what he tells Moses? Moses says, Moses said this. He said, what ha, Aaron, what have you done? You have perverted, in the Hebrew, you have perverted. You have led astray. You have brought sin to the degree that you have twisted these people from worshiping God. And you remember what God told Moses to do? He said, take that idol he said, grind it up in powder, throw it into the drinking water, and make the Israelites, the Jews, drink it. He goes in to Dan and Bethel, and he takes those seats of idolatry, those high places, and he tears them down and he removes them. Let me give you a principle. I want you to listen. Men, listen. Anything of the former life which means anything in your life prior to coming to Christ. Listen, the carnal nature, if you hang on to that, your carnal nature, your flesh, your fallen human nature will capitalize on it. Right? Are there some things in your life for you to get your life in order, get your home in order, are there some high places, places, things in your life that you're going to have to remove, you're going to have to get rid of in order to go into 2023? I want you to hold your finger, put your marker on 2 Kings 18, but I want you to go over to Romans chapter 13. Because this is so true. Romans chapter 13, way over there in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 13, I want you to see this. This is critical. I'm trying to find my place now. I see why Reggie used to sit there and look at a pad and he'd go, I've lost my place. Where is my place? Um, wow. And I have completely, it has disappeared. And I've got to find it because this is, this is critical. Romans 13, 4. Should know it. Now watch this. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant. Uh, that's not it. What in the world? Where is it? I'll tell you what I'm looking for. Alan, you can look for it. I'm looking for the passage where it says you give no occasion for the devil. You make no provisions for, for the enemy. And I have lost it. 
Now, for those people that are watching by live stream, this would be a good time for you to get a cup of coffee. No, I'm teasing. Do what? 14? It's 12-4. Thank you, Emily. Oh, 13-12. Okay, Emily, I appreciate that. Belled her dad out. 13-12. Okay, we're going to get to it yet. Um, and everything just disappeared. And I, I need to just stay away from this. So. But anyway, 13-12, um, let's look at it. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us what? Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Is that it? No, I'm still... 14. Come on, Emily. What? Now, where are we at? You, y'all, you... 13, 14. Okay. Rather, don't tell me we don't have an enemy. Megan, what are you laughing at? Surely you teachers have this problem sometimes. You have a... No, I'm teasing. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about what? How to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, what we see here, what we see here in the life of, uh, in the life, if I can get this thing to show me now, what we see here is Hezekiah's willing to stand alone. Hezekiah is removing anything, idols. He's removing anything that would cause the nation the people to be distracted from following God. And the question is this, for you and I to get our home in order, for us to get ready for 2023, are there some high places in your life and in my life? Let me, I want you to listen. Sometimes, sometimes somebody has, uh, Lauren, it's going to get better. Hang in there, buddy. <laughs> sometimes you and I have some things in our life that we may have to look at somebody else and they may say, you may have to say to somebody else, a man may have to say to his wife, I need you to help me get control of this or get this out of my life. Help me to, to deal with it. Whatever it may be, it may be your phone. It may, be, it may be things that you're looking at on your phone or preoccupation with social media where you say to somebody, you know, this is becoming an idol in my life. It consumes a lot of my time and I can't seem to let go of it. It's got an addictive hold on me. So it's like AA. It's like, Alan, uh, it's like Al, um, uh, Alcohol Anonymous or alcohol, uh, uh, I forget what the word is, but these people that are in supporting that individual trying to come off of alcohol. Al-Anon. Sometimes we need somebody to help us get those high places out of our life or destroy them. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? Because right now I'm really struggling. You see, Hezekiah was willing to stand alone. Hezekiah was fighting discouragement. And Hezekiah was doing what all the other kings had failed to do. He was going in and getting the nation, Israel, back in order again. He was a confrontational, no nonsense. I was listening to John MacArthur this week. John MacArthur sent a letter to the governor of California, Governor Newsom. And he basically listened to this. The governor of California, after Roe v. Wade was reversed by the Supreme Court, remember, abortion can still be done. It's now the state's rights. But Governor Newsom of California said this. He said he wanted to say to the entire country, 
If you want an abortion and you can't get it in your state, you come to California. And now he's put billboards all over the country that basically quote the words of Jesus and then speak to the support of abortion. John MacArthur sent a letter to the governor of California, and he said to Governor Newsom, he said, let me warn you, this is blasphemous. You've crossed the line, and I'm worried about your soul. You know, that's confrontation. And I love this. We need men and women who don't cower down. They don't give up. They don't get discouraged. They're unintimidated. Look at, look at 2 Kings 18, 5 through, 5 through 8. It says here that Hezekiah, you know, you may think, well, what was the key to Hezekiah? Why could he do what nobody else could do? Look at this. It gives you the formula. Hezekiah did what? He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, neither before him or after him. Boy, that's a powerful statement. Verse 6, he held fast to the Lord. He did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands of the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was what? He was with them and he was what? He was successful in whatever he undertook. Boy, that is powerful. Hezekiah was able to do what no other king did because first of all, he trusted in the Lord. He rested. What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. He trusted in the Lord. Look at verse 6. He held fast to Christ. Every parent understands this. You ever seen kids? I know my kids did it. They sit on your foot. They wrap their arms around your leg. You ever had them do that to you? Mom, Dad, say Amen. And, and you're walking around, poor old dad, you know, poor old mom. You've got this little toddler, and they're sitting on your foot, and they're clinging to you. And let me tell you something, that's, that, that's hard to pick that leg up and move around. To me, that is the picture of the man of God. They trust in Christ. They are wrapped so tightly around him that, that, that literally, he can't shake us loose. And he doesn't want to. Do you remember the Jabbok River when old Jacob, the deceiver, the liar, came and sent all of his family getting ready to face Esau, his brother? And do you remember the Bible said he wrestled with the angel of the Lord? He wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ in the middle of wrestling with him. Do you remember that there came a point that Jacob was just simply hanging on? And the angel of the Lord said, Jacob, let me go. Jacob said, I won't let you go until you what? Until you bless me. And God said to Jacob, the pre-incarnate Christ said to Jacob, what is your name? And in that moment, Jacob said, it's Jacob. I'm a liar. I'm underhanded. I'm a deceiver. I've been dishonest. And God, I, this is who I am. In that moment, God said, you'll no longer be called Jacob. You will be called Israel. And the Jew to this day does not eat the meat around that dislocated hip where the angel of the Lord dislocated the hip of Jacob. Listen, he held fast. 
And he did not. Look at that verse 18. I'm at chapter 18. Look at what it says. And the Lord was with him. He was successful. But watch before that. It says he did not cease to follow him. Verse 6. He held fast. He did not cease to follow him. He was like a child clinging. And listen, there it is in 18.7. Look at this. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Wow, that is powerful. You know, I think the painful thing of heaven could be for me that God sits me down and he says, Jeff, I could have done so much more with you if you would have followed me with all your heart. If you would have just let go of this, let go of that, if you would have reached a level of obedience and, and walk, Jeff, there's so much more I could have done with you. You could have been much more than what you were. Could it be that God is saying to you and I, 2023 is your opportunity to walk in a level of intimacy with Christ, to tear down some of those high places, get rid of some of that stuff that keeps pulling you back into that carnal, fleshly stuff, that old, that old life, whatever it is. You know, hey, let me tell you, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And that's probably about how a Jew would say it, Israel, Israel. But when, when Jacob messed up, you know what God called him? There were times he called him his old name, Jacob. You know, Jesus called Peter. You remember he changed his name to Peter, but there were times he called him Simon because he started acting like the old man. Well, we, we've got a, I, I wrote a principle here, but it's so true. God always blesses obedience. You know, this, this may have not been the, most planned out I, I to me i'm a ocd when it comes to preaching i love to make sure all the t's are crossed and the i's are dotted but the reality is even though we've had a little bit of interruption in trying to find romans 13 14 the end result of it is every time you read through the bible every time you come to that verse even when i'm dead and gone you go <laughs> I remember Brother Jeff, he couldn't find it. Bless his heart. He, you know, in, a, in the South, we can say, we can call somebody dumb, stupid, or whatever. All you got to do is put before it, bless his heart. Bless his heart, he's as dumb as a piece of board, you know. Well, bless my heart, you hear my heart. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we seek to get our houses and our homes in order. Seek to get our lives in order, Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you. Forgive us, dear Lord, for sometimes hanging on to some of that stuff we need to let go. And right now, dear Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom. And Lord, everything that's done for your glory, somebody doesn't know you, that they'll come to know you today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. May never be a moment like this moment.